0: This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Still Rowing podcast. I am Tara McCausland, and I'm so grateful that you're here with me today there is much to say, and truth is, this episode could have been many hours, but I will try to keep it brief. Before I dive into my thoughts, I want to address the elephant in the room. As you likely noticed in the title of this episode, this will be my final post on still rowing. But lest you think this is the end of still rowing, I want to reassure you that it will continue with Kim, and a team of wonderful people who will, at a later date, share some really exciting news about the future of this podcast. Now, as many of you know, if you've been listening for a while, we just passed our three-year birthday of still rowing, and you know, I started this podcast with zero background in podcasting. I had no idea if I could successfully run a podcast, and I didn't know how long I would do it, and honestly, I wasn't sure anyone would listen. I am here to tell you, by small and simple things are great things brought to pass. I consider myself a pretty simple person, and it is the Lord and the great people who have willingly shared their time and testimonies on this podcast that have helped Still Rowing reach thousands of people across the country and around the globe. I testify that if we are willing instruments, God will consecrate our efforts to bless others, So you may ask, why am I leaving? Well, the short answer is because the Lord has called me another way. I'm taking on more responsibility in my work for a foundation called SA Lifeline. It's a nonprofit that provides education and resources for people suffering from sexual addiction and betrayal trauma. And the plan is actually to start a podcast for this cause in the near future. But my heart will always be here with you my fellow saints, who are choosing to row despite great challenges. Now, shifting gears. If you've been a listener of this podcast, you know that we always end each episode with the question, why are you still rowing and choosing faith in Jesus Christ and His Restored Church? And if, as a side note, you're still unsure why I titled this podcast Still Rowing, I encourage you to listen to the introductory episode to give you some context. One of the primary reasons I chose that name is to emphasize two points. The first point, the still in Still Rowing implies that this has been a hard, tiring journey. But the rowing suggests that you are still moving forward despite the fatigue and the struggle which is inevitably present in a life of Christian discipleship. My purpose for this final message is to convey to you not only why I am still rowing but to share some of the lessons gleaned from still rowing guests and to encourage you to examine your own experience and testimony to help you do the same. When I consider why I am still rowing, I immediately consider the evidence or fruit of my faith You'll recall the scripture in Hebrews 11 where Paul explains that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now that scripture has at times been confusing to me. It makes more sense though when I look at the Joseph Smith translation which replaces the word substance with assurance or basis. So faith is the basis of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is a verb. The Bible dictionary suggests that faith always moves its possessor to physical and mental action. Therefore, faith helps us act on things we hope are true, and through that action, we see the fruit or evidence of that faith propelled behavior. Does that make sense? Now, I desire to believe the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, and I act on that desire. This is faith and I'm always looking for evidence to validate the beautiful truths taught in the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. I find myself thinking about this pretty constantly. (laughs) I might suggest to you that a key part of keeping a vibrant faith will be reflecting daily on the faith-affirming evidence you have already received and continuously looking for more evidence that God is present in your life And that he is at the head of this church. This will keep your testimony strong, and you will be ready to answer every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Now, some of you may recall the epistemic round table analogy that Dan Ellsworth had spoken of in just this past episode and episode nine. He suggests that in building a case for faith, there are different voices that we need to allow at this table. He suggests revelation and personal experience, witness, testimony, or the experiences of others. Additionally, beauty, scripture, the words of ancient and living prophets, scholarship. When I consider why I'm still rowing, I think about the evidence I have gathered over the years from these different voices at the table. So, for instance, my testimony of the Book of Mormon, other scripture, and of the prophet Joseph Smith has an intellectual and a spiritual component. Tad Collister, he was on episode 61, and Stephen Harper, episode 39, shared some really compelling intellectual evidence from in depth scholarly study that the Book of Mormon is of divine origin and that Joseph Smith. A bright but uneducated farm boy was not capable of producing such a book. And the hundreds of pages of additional scripture we find in the Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price, he couldn't have done this without heavenly direction. As Stephen Harper, who is a scholar and historian, said, quote, between the seventh day of April and the end of June, 1829, a kid from upstate New York who had less education than I did when I finished sixth grade produced the Book of Mormon. There's no doubt about that, and the evidence is overwhelming. It is demonstrably full of Old Testament covenant concepts, ancient poetic structures. He continues, anyone who says he just hatched it out of his head, they've got a lot of explaining to do. It is impossible that it is the composition of Joseph Smith." end of quote. Now, I'd listen to both of these interviews, by the way, they're both super powerful. The Book of Mormon testifies of the veracity of Joseph Smith's prophetic call and the existence of the Book of Mormon is strong evidence that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is Christ's church, restored to the earth in the last days by the Lord's prophet, Joseph Smith. However, more importantly, my testimony of the Book of Mormon and Joseph's prophetic call has less to do with what seems intellectually sound and more to do with the good fruits both the reading of the Book of Mormon and following the doctrines Joseph Smith revealed have brought in my life. As a missionary, I saw firsthand many times how an honest study of the Book of Mormon changed hearts and it changed behavior. It brought people to Christ Likewise, when I apply the doctrines found there and in the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm a happier person. I'm a better person, and I feel the love of God and his peace and guidance more abundantly in my life. So I'm still rowing because I believe Joseph Smith is a prophet and that the Book of Mormon is an ancient book written for our day designed to bring us closer to Christ. As I read the words of prophets, ancient and modern, I see in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the same organization which existed in the primitive church, just like it says in the article of faith. I see the priesthood, prophets, apostles, as was the case in ancient times. I see the necessary ordinances and covenants made available to the living and the dead through priesthood authority and temples. God's people have always been a covenant-making, temple-building people. I think we've seen that clearly in the Old Testament that we've been studying this year. The restoration is ongoing, and we believe that God will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God, right? But all we need to be prepared to live with and like God has been revealed. The church of Jesus Christ does not save us let's be clear on that. <laughs> it's through Christ that we are saved, but the church is the entity through which the Lord disseminates and provides the authority, the the power, the ordinances and covenants to draw us to him and prepare us to become heirs to the kingdom. One of my favorite interviews was with a couple named Becky and Bennett Borden. That was episode 34, who after living in same-sex relationships and being away from the church for 20 years, they both found their way back into the church and to each other. It was a remarkable story. But Becky related how in her time away from the church, she continuously searched for a religion, a church that provided what the Church of Jesus Christ did. And she, she said she found pieces here and there, but when it came down to it, she knew the only place she would find what she was looking for was back with the Latter-day Saints. Now, Latter-day Saints share some beliefs with other Christian sects, but the doctrine that I feel sets us most apart is the doctrine of the plan and eternal families. So apart from the central doctrine of Christ's great atonement, it is this grand inclusive plan which is powered by Christ's atonement that I find one of the most exciting parts we have to offer our brothers and sisters of other faiths. It's also a major part of why I love being a Latter-day Saint. As a full-time missionary, sharing this plan with others for the first time was honestly thrilling. Of course, there were plenty of things we as missionaries said that people cared little about, but when we started answering those cosmic questions, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? People would listen. And sometimes it was like I could see a glimmer in their eyes of a distant memory of what we spoke of. Albert Einstein was once asked if you could ask God anything, what would you ask him? And he said, I would ask him how he created the universe. But then he changed his mind and he said, wait, I would ask him why he created the universe because then I would know the meaning of my life. These are questions that keep people up at night. (laughs) And we have the answers. I don't say that in a we're better than you sort of way. I say that in a We have responsibility to share this way. Yet I feel many Latter-day Saints are dismissive of this great doctrine, and in their dismissiveness, sometimes certain doctrines, practices, or policies just don't make sense to them. I've shared this quote on another episode, but I think it's worth repeating. In President Oaks' talk, The Great Plan, in the April 2020 General Conference, he said this, I share the conviction that has come to me from many letters and by reviewing many requests to return to the church after name removal or apostasy. Many of our members do not fully understand this plan of salvation, which answers most questions about the doctrine and inspired policies of the restored church, Close quote. My friends, if you have questions or doubts, might I suggest to you to further study, ponder, and seek a testimony of our heavenly parents' plan of salvation and Christ's role in that plan. We lived in God's presence before we came here, and we are each his beloved child. Our purpose here is clear, to learn, to grow, to strive to become like the Lord. We are here not earning heaven, as some both in and outside of the church mistakenly believe. We are here learning heaven, as Brother Brad Wilcox stated. And because of Christ's resurrection and atoning sacrifice, all mankind will be mercifully resurrected and receive what they desire, whether that be a celestial life, living in God's presence and abiding by his laws, or a celestial or a terrestrial life where they will dwell in peace and happiness, but according to the eternal law, they have chosen to abide by. That, my friends, is perfect justice and perfect mercy at work. Our God is truly great. I am still rowing because the plan of salvation brings me peace and it provides context for all other parts of the gospel. But that brings me to the two most important questions. Why do I believe there's a God in heaven who knows me? And why do I believe Jesus Christ lives and atone for you and me? Why? Because of the evidence produced from countless prayers that have been answered. One of my first memories I have of the power of prayer in my life was at the age of eight. I remember the experience quite vividly. Earlier that day, I had learned that my grandma and cousin had been in a serious car accident. My grandma died on impact and my cousin died days later. I was devastated. I went to bed that night with tears streaming down my face. and I had been taught that I could pray and ask Heavenly Father for comfort. So I knelt and asked God to please help me feel better. And you know, almost immediately in response to that prayer, my feelings shifted. The tears stopped and I felt that my grandma was alive and well and that I would see her again. That was one of many prayers since that have been offered where much-needed guidance, comfort, or strength was needed and given. And witness testimony suggests to me that I'm not the only one who has received aid in response to a prayer. In episode 40 with Michael Gregson, he shared how after years of struggle with alcoholism, he was ready to call it quits and take his own life. In his anguish, he cried out to God, and all he could get out was, help me. In that moment, he describes feeling perfect love envelop him. And he understood from this experience that God still loved him. Despite all of his mistakes and challenges, God hadn't given up on him. And this helped Michael begin to move forward with hope and to clean up his life. I have no memory of God's face, but I have witnessed him working in my life and felt the love he has for me and for his children. I am still rowing because I believe God lives and loves me. Likewise, I believe there is a Christ because I have seen the fruits of his atoning sacrifice that both sanctifies and enables us. Years ago, one of my sons came to me and said that he had been lying to some kids at school about some pretty silly things. At the time, he was quite young, but he was very emotional about it, and was visibly ashamed of himself. We talked about the gift of repentance and how Jesus suffered so we could be forgiven and be freed of the guilt and the shame of our poor choices. So he and I knelt together. In mid-prayer, the tears turned to laughter. And when we finished, he was just beaming. I asked him, Why are you laughing? He said, I just feel so good. And I understood his joy. I, too, have felt the relief that comes from sincere repentance. My son still speaks of this experience as a time when he knows he felt forgiven because he felt a change within himself. I know that's a a minor thing, a little example of the change that can take place, but I have witnessed in more serious circumstances that same change. Like in the case of my father, who struggled with sexual addiction for decades, and my mother, who suffered from the associated betrayal trauma, Christ's Atonement blessed and strengthened them both to do what I believe no other power could have and that is, change and heal them from serious sin and the wounds of betrayal. Other individuals have testified of the power of Christ's Atonement. For instance, uh, Caden Carlos, who was on this podcast, he was a former drug addict and drug dealer. He later became a faithful full-time missionary. Leah Weiniger, a man in a faith crisis who questioned God's very existence. he's now a man of deep faith, serving others struggling with faith. Uh, Jeanette Kilpak, who was also on the podcast, she was an abuse survivor and a mother who was sent to prison after the accidental death of her daughter. She is still a committed latter-day saint who loves the Lord. And the temple. These individuals powerfully testified that Christ was there in their hour of need, and that his atoning power pulled them from dark places and helped them get back on the covenant path. The enabling power of Christ is clear in the stories of other guests, such as Corey Hyde, who suffered through a brain tumor, a stroke, and paralysis, and yet moves forward with a bright hope and so much gratitude. Also, Crystal and Mike Davies, who lost their 14-year-old son to suicide. Despite a heartbreaking tragedy, they testified of remarkable experiences that confirmed to them that their son lives on, and that Christ was able to lift them as they cast their burden on him. So yes, I am still rowing because I see the evidence of Christ's atoning power at work in my life and in the lives of many others. Now, ultimately, I am still rowing because I constantly see the good fruits of living the restored gospel in my life and in the lives of other faithful Latter-day Saints. I see that those who are committed to their covenants have a greater measure of peace. They have increased capacity to deal with the inevitable challenges of life, and they are magnified in their responsibilities, both in the church and in their professions, and they are better able to serve God's children. So going back to the beginning of my thoughts here, I might ask you then, what is the evidence of your faith? What fruits have you witnessed in your life as a result of living Christ's restored gospel? Now, you can go online and hear plenty of personal stories of why people choose to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and why they are still in the boat, so to speak. You can also go online and find plenty of people who have shared their stories of why they have left. My suggestion to you is this. If you desire to believe, I would advise you to keep a running list of why you choose faith in Christ and his church. In a conference talk given by Elder Anderson back in October of 2019, this talk was entitled Fruit, he quoted President Nelson saying, The adversary is quadrupling his efforts to disrupt testimonies and impede the work of the Lord. Elder Anderson goes on to say, Although we need not fear, we are to be on guard. At times, little things can upend our spiritual balance. Please don't allow your questions, the insults of others, faithless friends, or unfortunate mistakes and disappointments to turn you away from the sweet, pure, and soul-satisfying blessings that come from the precious fruit of the tree. Keep your eyes and your hearts centered on the Savior Jesus Christ and the eternal joy that comes only through Him. Before I close, just a few words of caution. As we've been studying the Old Testament this year— I have been realizing just how often ancient Israel would turn away from God to worship other idols. And often these were the idols of their neighbors who for whatever reason seemed more appealing than the God who brought them out of slavery in Egypt and provided manna and direction in the wilderness. The God who preserved them in times of war and gave them a promised land. And yet when I look around, I see this same temptation to turn to the idols of the world, happening frequently to the Latter-day Saints. These idols can take many forms. Perhaps it's the pursuit of wealth, or power, or beauty. These idols may be appealing, but just like the dumb idols of the Old Testament, they will provide you nothing of eternal value. And when it comes to the constantly shifting social issues of our day, such as LGBTQ, race, or gender issues, may I say this, do not become a spiritual casualty of the cultural wars that are unique to our day. Having a cause to fight for is not wrong, but when taken too far, it causes us to become, as President Nelson said, myopic, and to lose sight of our ultimate cause, the cause of Christ loving and serving his children and building his kingdom. So related to this idea is a reminder to go to the source of truth when we have questions, and to believe, once again, as President Nelson said, that there really is such a thing as right and wrong. There really is absolute truth. Choose wisely the messages, the ideologies, and the voices you regularly consume because they will most certainly influence your trajectory of faith. Keep in mind also that personal experience is an important voice at our epistemic table, but it cannot be the only voice. These days, many people rely only on personal experience, leading some people to believe that truth is relative and to say things like, this is my truth. I was just recently reading an article about this topic, which I will post in the show notes. It comes from Public Square Magazine. It said, Some years ago, there was a meme going around showing two people who came across a number painted on the ground. Standing at opposing ends, one of them sees the number six, the other sees a nine. What they saw was dependent on their specific perspective. Both appear to have clear evidence that their opinion is right. And from their given stances, both are right. The problem is that from their given position, both are lacking context and perspective. Many in our day and age, lacking a belief in an all-knowing, all-powerful, perfectly just and merciful God, believe that their opinion trumps all because of their limited personal experience. But how foolish, right? As Dan Ellsworth described in episode 64, we all carry around worldviews and mental and emotional biases that impact our current experience in our relationships, in our work, and in our spiritual and religious lives. As human beings, we are all limited in our understanding of truth because of these worldviews and biases. So compared to the wisdom and the power and the majesty that God is, we're peons, right? (laughs) We're beloved peons, but we're peons. When someone insists they are right about an issue that contradicts the teachings of the prophets, remember this, perspective and context matter. And the prophets and seers have been tasked to provide that bird's eye view, which will provide that perspective. So if things don't make sense, be patient. Trust that there is eternal truth. Trust that God has spoken to his prophets and that God, that yes, his ways are higher than our ways. My friends, we are seeing the fulfillment of prophecy. We are without question living in the last days. And it's exciting, but these times have also been described as perilous. It says in scripture that in the last days, even the elect will be deceived. As Christ's coming draws nearer, we should not be surprised. The battle for the souls of men and women will get ever more heated. So don't be surprised when you see your former Relief Society, an Elder's Quorum President, or favorite mission companion, or beloved friend, or spouse, or a child walk away from the church. However, remember the lesson we've learned from those who have shared their stories on this podcast. Do not despair and don't panic. God is playing the long game, right? We've said that so many times on this podcast. God is playing the long game with all of his children and he will continue to work in the lives of those we love because he loves them more than you or I can understand. So trust God and believe that he will keep watch of your loved one as they wander and take care of you as you stay close to him. And we stay close to Christ by making time for him every day through prayer and meditation, by immersing ourselves in the words of prophets, both ancient and modern, and by loving our neighbor and serving in the church and in the temple and in the community and believing that these small and simple things will strengthen us in our resolve to stay in the boat and keep rowing. And on this journey, we have good company, the company of many faithful saints and the captain of the ship himself, Jesus. I wish I could come and sit with you in your living room and hear your story, your struggles and your, your questions. I know that this life can be challenging and living a life of discipleship brings unique challenges. But as I said in my introductory episode, I would choose Christ's yoke over the millstone of the world any day of the week. When we yoke ourselves with Christ, our burdens can become light, even so we cannot fill them upon our backs. So rely on him and press on. There is joy and peace available to those who put their lives in God's hands. So I want to reassure you, wherever you are, Whatever your challenges, that God lives, Jesus Christ lives, and you are precious in their sight. And this is Christ Church. And I'll end with some riveting words from Brother Joseph, found in DNC 128-22, which says, Brethren and sisters, I'll add, shall we not go on in so great a cause? Go forward, not backward. Courage, friends, and on, on to the victory. Let your hearts rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Again, stay tuned, Still Rowing will continue on with Kim and she will be posting soon, but thanks for sharing this journey with me. God bless you on your way. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. If you would like a little daily motivation to keep rowing, you can find me on Instagram at Church of Jesus Christ underscore SR underscore podcast and on Facebook at Church of Jesus Christ SR podcast. Also, if you've been enjoying this podcast, if you would go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review that would help us spread the word about still rowing. Thanks again for listening.